time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. Oh, oh, Casey. This is going to be like lancing a boil, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, oh, folks, um, welcome back. Uh, I have a little bit of deja vu about this topic, actually. Yeah, this may be the cursed movie yeah. for this podcast, <laughs> and I, I will not until I actually see the file downloading onto my tablet fully trust that this episode <laughs> is being recorded. This is our third attempt at, at recording. We were talking, of course, about the movie Batman and Robin make quite possibly the most infamous most hated uh superhero movie of all time that was credited with kind of killing superhero movies for a number of years yeah, yeah. this is from the year 1997 directed by joel schumacher who has a storied career yes including things like the lost boys dc cab and falling down and and written by akiva goldsmith who was a oscar award-winning writer an Oscar award Oscar winning. Award winning. We are going to come back to right. that point a couple times yes. while talking yeah. about this movie. Did a beautiful mind. I am legend. Deep blue sea. There's a there's some variety in there. Yeah. But of course, I think this may be also famous for this is the one time that Arnold Schwarzenegger, aside from his original turn as the Terminator, was the bad guy in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Originally, I think this role. I remember seeing uh, Patrick Stewart. We uh, on was it Leno? I think. He had uh, he'd been up for this role to, yeah. for playing Mr. Freeze in Batman and Robin. I think the only thing in common is just bald guys <laughs> at that point. Because clearly when I think of roles that could go to either this actor or that actor, the two people I always put side by side are Patrick Stewart and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Well, you know what? Speaking of uh, of guys who put side by side, we haven't even told you who was our guest for this. Back from uh, actually from last month, we just we love you so much. We're going to bring you back, Joe Preddy from View from the Gutters podcast. Ice to see you. <laughs> oh God! Get used to those ice puns, people. Yeah, yeah this is going to be a wall fucking to wall. It's, bumpy ride. Yeah, it it really is. Um, originally, we were supposed to do something else. I won't say what that is, and it's not to throw any speed bumps. And I know you guys are kind of secret are we yeah. i don't know i don't know but um and that are the guest for that we i was going to come up because it's it was a friend of mine and we were going to record back to back but then they weren't able to make it and so mike hit me with want to do batman and robin and i was like I'd rather gouge my eyes out but i guess if i want to <laughs> talk with you guys i have to oh so joe one oh. of the questions that we always ask people when they come on our show for the first time is are you a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and what's your history with the movies of Arnold? So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, I am in, well, I'm an 80s kid, and, you know, I I, 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 was, uh, I was born in 77, so I am a, I'm a fucking, back, like, especially back in the day, I'm a huge Arnold fan. I've seen probably 90% of his movies. Um, the, you know, I, I've... Uh, I remember seeing the first time I ever saw him was in the Terminator, which blew my tiny little mind. Uh, but I'm I'm just such a huge fan of of all of his movies, Predator, Commando. He just he exemplifies this kind of type of not hero, but also this type of film, which I think is really interesting because especially when he moved into stuff like Kindergarten Cop later, and like he did stuff like Twins and stuff, which is yeah. always but. Nobody kicks ass like Arnold does, dude. No, like, no. Nobody does. Nope. I mean, he's just such a force of nature. I think even now I listened to your guys' episode on, um, oh, what was it, Last Stand? It wasn't Last Stand. Yeah. Was it Last Stand? Yeah. I mean, like, even in that, when he's clearly kind of, you know, he's he's on the down, he's, he's in his 60s and he can't move like he used to, but he's still such a, a fucking presence on film. Dude is a beast. Yeah, and and he just he I mean, has this. I think I originally. It's, I'm sorry to interrupt, Joe, no, but I think I originally on our original Radio versus the Martians panel for Arnold, I had said, well, what's the sort of the difference between him and uh, 
Who's the renegade guy whose name I'm... Oh, Lorenzo Lamas. Yeah, what's the difference between Arnold and Lorenzo Lamas? And I think it really is that he's got the stage presence or screen presence um, that when he steps on the screen, um, even in the early, even in the 70s movies when he's doing characters that have no dialogue or he's just a stand-in or something, you notice because there's like this, what the fuck is this weird, huge man doing (laughs) on screen? Yeah, I mean, even if you watch him in Pumping Iron, there's a a self-assuredness there. He's just very, very, you know, he's he's so confident and he's a character like he himself has, I think, always been a character. And I love that he's become this mythical character, not just in, in film, but like he'll show up on the um, what is it like the R Fitness subreddit or like yeah. the the bodybuilding subreddit and encourage people. He'll be like, yeah, get back in there and do it. You're doing great. And it's like he's just become such a part of of our culture. And I think that's I think that's fairly amazing. I think there's a reason that uh, in Demolition Man there there's the whole in joke <laughs> about the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, presidential library. Right, right. There was a movement to make him pre- to to get the amendment that prevents naturalized citizens. Right. From, there was a movement to get that removed so that all, he could run for president. All fifty states, man, they'd have to sign up for <laughs> yes. that. All fifty states got to want Let's it. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. I mean, considering our present circumstances, <laughs> yes. are we? Would it really be any worse? What if we got to lose at this point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, seeing as though that's that seems to be a conflict that's already developing. But well, not to not to be too uh, off tangent is that uh, Schwarzenegger decided that uh, he's try- he, I think he's not going to run as the for he's, senator he's not he's not going to and you know what he said he's doing instead he's going to help fight re, uh, re, uh, redistricting and gerrymandering yes yes which, like come yeah. on i mean say what you will about there was probably some there's probably some stuff that a lot of people could disagree with about his governorship and his political career in general but for someone who's out of politics to be making that the thing that that the thing that he's actually doing that's highly commendable oh absolutely highly commendable absolutely so joe the the second question we always ask people is today we're we're definitely going into your wheelhouse which is a comic book movie you're from a comic book podcast yes this should be some real peanut butter and jelly time for you uh, this, yes. uh, i'm also a batman fan a so batman I, fan i feel like we got the trifecta yeah, we gotta on. raise them stakes yeah. so what are you gonna tell us here um if you had to sum it up in a paragraph what is batman and robin about the killing of my teenage dreams <laughs> I, I the murder the fucking murder cold-blooded murder Batman and Robin, uh, a brief synopsis. Um, Batman and Robin are cohabitating uh, in a partner sense, not in a romantic sense. Um, Two new villains uh, make themselves known, one of which turns them against each other, and they have to rely on the value of friendship to win the day. Also, Batgirl is in there, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, the reason the, the, the reason there, there I, thought, I thought you would be perfect to bring on this episode, Joe, is that when we had a Batman episode, your high point was Bat Dad. The idea of Batman yes, being yes. not just this angry loner, but having a family. So isn't this movie doing exactly what you wanted well, Batman to do? No, this is really what's interesting because, okay, this movie, in case you don't know, is fucking garbage. It is trash garbage. However, <laughs> I was watching it last night with my wife. Um, And when I say watching, I mean, I was looking at the screen every 30 seconds while I tried to force myself to do other things because, (laughs) oh, my God, the fucking horror. You got to cut this movie with other things. Uh, You kid. But there is a lot that I think is interesting about this movie, as weird as that sounds. And I still think it's a better fucking movie. I think it's a better, like, uh, characterization of Batman and and. And that kind of and his mindset than anything DC has done recently. Hmm. Wow! I think that that the realest moments and the, even though <laughs> Kirby, my wife, continually would like they would have like a scene and she'd be like, "Do you think the director like took them inside and said, okay, I want you to read this line like you don't care at all about what's going on, <laughs> like you have no emotional connection, just read it like you're reading the morning paper." And then, like, at the end, he's talking to Freeze, and he's like, <laughs> Kirby's like, watch out, watch out. People might think you actually feel something in this scene. Calm down. <laughs> but I think those moments between uh, Bruce and, and Dick, I think that really does get to something that I find interesting and compelling about Batman, which is that his um, his uh, instinct is to be is not to coach. It's not to train. It is to dismiss 
because of, as we were talking about in our fun size episode, which is weird because we did it before this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think something that I find really, you know, Batman associates, and they don't get into it so much in this, but like Batman does not want, cannot deal with the pain of loss. And so to him, he's like, well, I'm going to save you. I'm not going to help you become better. I'm not going to trust you. And all of my favorite Batman stories have some element of that, that kind of conflict in there. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's interesting. I really do. It, it was weird to kind of go back and look at that and be like, wow, there is this kind of there are these tiny little glittering shards in the turd that is this fucking movie. <laughs> Careful, some of those shards are broken glass. No, they absolutely are, but but they make it more interesting mm. than uh, a movie, I don't know, that just came out that looked like it had been shot through fucking sewer water <laughs> and had absolutely no characterization except angry and sad. Oh, and crazy. Because all smart people are crazy. I don't know if you guys knew this. Yeah. Um, and they're all idiosyncratic. <laughs> right? They're I all can't just... imagine what you're talking about. Yeah, I know. I can't. There seems to me that that describes a movie that was that was out recently. But uh, I'm probably well, just... We are talking about Batman and Robin, 1997s, which I, I, when I saw this now, God knows how many times I've seen this now, unfortunately. <laughs> Hopefully this is the, the last, last time. I want to put the final nail in the coffin yeah. of this movie and never yeah. watch it ever again. I, I think my, my best one sentence is this is the most expensive B-movie ever made. Yes. Yes. Um, $125 million to make this, quote, movie, unquote. That's a million dollars a minute. Think about it. Just let yeah. that explode in your brain a little bit. It's... This is what a million dollars a minute pays for. Yeah, it pays for something that kind of feels like a Power Rangers episode. <laughs> and like you were saying before, it's like like Kirby saying, can you make it look like you care less about what's happening? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of good actors in this movie. Yes. And I'm actually going to say Arnold is on that list. And I think Arnold actually comes out better than some of the other people in this movie because I know George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell can act and can do drama. Yeah. But it feels like you're going, the director, you know, Joel Schumacher is going, no, no, I'm not supposed to feel something here. You need to make it sound like you're talking to a room of kids that are sitting crisscross applesauce in front of you. <laughs> because a lot of the dialogue in this movie is discordant. It is strange feeling and it's it feels like it's done and... by ADR almost. Yes. And everyone it seems like they're talking to a bunch of kids who've come to watch a cartoon and Batman is going to tell them like there's a bit where Poison Ivy shows up at the observatory and threatens him and goes into her full like Rita Repulsa supervillain speech and this <laughs> lady um, the Good gossiping pull, Mike. Good pull. yeah, gossiping Gertie the lady who's who's there who's like uh, and by the way I looked it up she is not played by Nancy Grace because <laughs> I, 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 I was like wait a minute is that could it be and I had to stop the movie and Google but no not Nancy Grace and she goes oh you must be new in town Batman and Robin protect us in Gotham City kids and it was like this weird sing song like condescending tone that would cut throughout the movie and it starts like right at the beginning yes you get this idea of like oh it's the bat cave and oh the batmobile's coming up and it's spinning and just as you think something might be cool robin goes i want a car chicks dig the car and it cuts to (laughs) george Clooney as batman going this is why superman works alone and i'm like Fuck you, yes. movie! This is the fastest I've seen something go off the rails. This, it should have been. It should have been Batman and Robin arguing in the cave. Is what it should have. There's, there's They're so Anakin and Obi Wan in this whole it's, movie. It's, yeah. The bickering is out of control, and it also this also suffers from that terrible plot device that we were talking about in the fun size, which is. Uh, if Alfred would have just explained what's going on to Bruce Wayne at the at the beginning, it would have been a very different movie. Yes. That, that entire subplot of him having what is it, McGregor, McGregor syndrome. syndrome. Which is the same goddamn affliction that Nora Freeze has. Yeah. Weirdly enough. <laughs> whoa, that's so crazy. Yeah. By the way, the, the last name Freeze, is this one of the few times that Arnold Schwarzenegger actually gets a character name that fits his accent? Oh, yeah. That's that's Victor that's Freeze. And I'm like, yeah, this is a guy who can have what, that. What, he's an uh, Olympic decathlete. Nobel Prize winning scientist and also a maniacal supervillain? And probably an amateur filmmaker who likes to film these weird like jewelry commercials with his wife. <laughs> yes, that's, that's fair. The actress in that looks really uncomfortable. She looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> so apparently they would set up for scenes and Joel Schumacher would be up on like a fucking um, like a cherry picker, like a boom. Yep. And he would say, remember, everybody, we're in a cartoon action. And I think I, I read that 
And I was like, oh, my God, that's what this feels like. It feels like there's no stakes. I mean, how else can you interpret when you see Freeze's hideout, which is like an ice cream factory? And he's standing in pajamas with, like, rap, like fluffy rabbit slippers and forcing his henchmen to sing, like, a Rankin-Bass Christmas special. Yes. yes. In unison. He's, like, conducting it. <laughs> I, oh, but he has to take both that element where this guy is constantly making ice jokes, and then they are also trying to push in there this idea that he's this sad, tragic person. <laughs> yeah, You have to pick one of these two because there's only so silly you can make this. And when you have these guys all conducting it, one of the guys is like, his face is stuck to a frozen TV <laughs> dinner. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, he's basically, at, there's like a, like a clown ice cream cone on the outside of his building and everything with this guy is ice puns. It's like, oh, ice to see you, Batman, you know? And he like, that guy's like, oh, oh, mercy. And he's like, my current condition has made me cold to your pleas of mercy. <laughs> and it's like, you know, if I was a guy who was this sad, tragic character who'd fallen into one of the many open vats of chemicals in Gotham yeah, City, right? and for the rest of my life I have to keep myself at like absolute zero or I'll die, the last thing I want to fucking think about are ice, ice puns, puns and ice cream and make up my fucking henchmen to dress like they're in parkas with face paint. <laughs> I just, it's, it's weird to me that the I. I I read that cartoon line and I was like, that's hilarious for clearly because that's what everybody did. But secondly, because Mr. Freeze became, I think, really prominent, at least in pop culture, in Batman the Animated Series. Oh, yeah. Where he was fucking had a brilliant characterization. Wait, man. didn't didn't the writing for that win, a, win an Emmy? The writing for that episode? I believe episode? so, yeah. Yep. Heart, it was uh, Heart of, is it Heart of Ice or Heart of... Yeah, this first season, right? Yeah. This first season animated yeah, series. Yeah, and it's, yep. it's such a good episode and he has so much pathos he has so you really feel for him and i read somewhere that like one of the people considered for this was patrick stewart yes and i immediately thought to myself how that would have been fucking amazing yes but no it was not i just i wonder so after after terminator 2 arnold said he wasn't going to take any more villain roles and then he took the mr freeze role and i was like of all of them that's what you took yeah really well it's you think on on paper it should be right up his alley because of just the list of puns that he has but it's puns with the safety off uh, well safety on because you look at a lot of arnold movies a lot of the lines are stupid but they're mixed with this like visceral grunting snack snap or something that he's doing something really fucking adult next to something really childish but there's always that glee in Arnold's eyes that even when he's serious, his eyes are smiling, which is why we fucking love him. Yes. No, absolutely. And this one, he doesn't get that element of danger to go with the fact that he's making a stupid joke about the death of a fellow human being. <laughs> because it, it, it makes you wonder, uh, is, is these this type of thing we talk about all the time, which is that when Arnold comes on board, they rewrite whole parts of the script so they can give him the Arnoldisms? That's the real question. Were they, is this just regular dialogue that it's just r- ramped up to be like a faux Arnold uh, one-liner? Or do they add these in because they're like, well, Arnold's here, so he's got to have stupid-ass one-liners. I feel like, just the, given the tone of this movie, they were already there. Hmm. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went the other way. Like, they were like, well, we have all these puns, and Arnold is willing to do it. Let's <laughs> let's just go with that. Because I, there are so many fucking stupid weird choices in this movie that make no sense at all i've i've heard i've read that joel schumacher actively apologizes for these two movies because he did batman forever previously yeah um and it was because like i watched these movies as they came out and watched as horror and horror as like i love burton's batman and i love batman returns and then batman forever happened and i was like this is not good it's not bad but it's not good. And then it's, Batman and Robin came out, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is garbage! Like this is this makes me feel bad about myself. <laughs> like I feel actively bad that I participated in this." And it's so weird to me because I, there are these. It's like I said, there are these weird moments in it where I'm like, "This could have been okay." Yeah, this could have really could have been. It's it's um it's Suicide Squad syndrome, right? Mm. Like the movie is edited badly, the movie it was written badly, and it was directed badly. If you just now, uh, Joe, you're saying that's the backbone of a fucking movie, right? Yes, I think. But I think that it was like I I think that if it had, had if you had changed one of those things, like I think if it had, had a stronger script and Joel Schumacher had kind of understood, I think, a little bit of the gravity of what was going on, because this fucking movie 
killed Alicia Silverstone's career. Yeah. Sure did. Killed fucking Chris O'Donnell's career. Yep. It would have killed Clooney's career, except that he was on ER at the time. Right. I mean, this movie was not fucking. No, like, it's a Jason Voorhees of careers. It really, <laughs> it's a yeah. Like, everybody off. Joel Schumacher didn't do shit for a while after this movie came out. Like, yeah. it really, really. I think the next movie he did was Eight Millimeter. Maybe. Did he do that one? Maybe not sure. I can't remember. But it, it's so weird because I look at this movie and I think that. There is a contempt I think Joel Schumacher has for comic books in this. Yes. And I'm not doing it as a sort of defensive nerd stance that I think a lot of people might expect because at the time that this movie came out, it was that defensive nerd stance because I was in high school and I'm like, no, no, Batman needs to be taken seriously. Yeah, right. But I think that you can do an Adam West style Batman movie, but it has to come from a place of love of that old TV show that you're emulating. I mean, if you want to do something that cheesy, like the nineties remake of the Brady bunch is a better version of that where there, it takes something that was cheesy, right. But adds a level of self-awareness to it. and yes. says that we can laugh along with it. Yes. That's not the case of this movie because I think ultimately this movie does not know who its intended audience is. Sure. Right. Sure. That on, on one hand you have this movie that is aggressive, dumb and seems to be aimed at babies because so much of the dialogue does feel like you're watching Shining Time Station or Teletubbies. <laughs> yep. yeah. what, is, what is it like during the uh, motorcycle race? So Batgirl sneaks out and steals a bike and she goes into Coolio's motorcycle competition. I don't know what. There's drugs oh, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, right? so, uh, I, I was like, hey, it was there, Coolio. Yes. And she's like, well, it's fitting that Mr. Freeze was in this movie. And I'm like, did you just fucking say that to me? <laughs> yeah. I, I had to leave. <laughs> For some reason, they just dropped the warriors in in the middle of this movie. If no, you wanted to go cheesy, Mick Coolio gets kidnapped by Mr. Freeze because of the pun of his name. Yeah, right? <laughs> but they, it, you know, the, the, they're in the motorcycle race and they have dialogue like the one of the other racers is sort of razzing on batgirl and he says you're next girly or yeah out of my way loser yeah <laughs> it's, it's who very... wrote this by the way the answer to that question yes. is again academy award winner akiva <laughs> goldsman well but the, and this is the weird thing is that there's some very like weirdly put in girl power moments where it's like I feel like Batgirl is very much like Barbara Wilson, not Barbara Gordon, right? Because they didn't believe that she could actively play Pat Hingle's daughter. Because I don't fucking know. Be, well, stupid. not this version because, of Commissioner because, Gordon. Because Commissioner yes. Gordon is entirely impotent in this yes, movie. Yes, I know, right? In yeah. every way. He's so impotent he could not have sired a child is how impotent he is. <laughs> so, yeah, right? Exactly. So she's Alfred's niece. But, like... The whole thing with the the motorcycle race, and then at the end where she's like, they're like, the satellites could do it directly, unfreeze Gotham directly, but we need a computer genius. And Robin's like, I'm on it. And then Batgirl's like, I'm on it. And then he's like, we'll have to work upside down. And she's like, silly boys, always making things harder than they need to be. And I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? (laughs) Like, when did this become a feminist text? Like, I'm all for that shit. And like, yeah, fuck yeah, girl power. But like- where was she during the rest of the movie? Yeah, when that could have actually been an effective like she. There was some line, almost a throwaway line about her admonishing Poison Ivy. I think for the feminine wiles <laughs> yes, or something. Yes, I yes, don't know. Right. her looks. Yes. yes. Oh but my yeah, God. that's the, the weird thing with this movie is it goes in all these different directions, and none of these directions work in tandem with each other. Yeah. So you have, of course, this little baby kids movie that almost feels like it's so safe because it's aimed at five-year-olds. Not like ten-year-olds, but like five-year-olds. Yeah. And then you have this part of the movie that is full of sexual innuendo where, you know, Robin says something to Poison Ivy like, give me a sign. She's like, how about slippery when wet? And they talk about <laughs> yeah. her her stems and her buds later. And there's all of these weird Tom of Finland statues everywhere. Yeah. And that with an and it's like then don't forget about a gorilla suit striptease. A gorilla suit striptease. Oh, uh, our friend uh, Becky Friedman refers to that as the um, what is it called the dryer lint gorilla. <laughs> 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 but the uh, the dryer lint gorilla striptease. So that if you were going to do like a grown up silly sexy burlesque Batman movie that could work that was full of all the obvious sexy jokes that you could do when a bunch of people are dressing in rubber costumes and fighting evil. Right. Silly evil. I could totally see a burlesque show do a Batman movie, but that's not the same fucking movie as Batman for five year olds. No, no, it's not. It's not. And like, 
Uma Thurman is one of the saving graces of this movie for me. Not because like it makes the movie any better, but because I'm in love with Uma Thurman. So it's kind of like I could watch her as Poison Ivy, but even like her performance is fucking painful. Yeah. And once again, she's a really good actress. Like she was coming off of Pulp Fiction, I think, for this. Yes. And like she's great in that fucking movie, even though. I'm, I have feelings about that movie I'm not going to get into because they're wildly <laughs> unpopular. Um, I, I, I really like it's just there's the scene in the beginning of the movie where after she's Ivy, she's going to the observatory and she's wearing a wig. But then when you see her next, it looks like a completely different fucking wig. And like Kirby was really confused. And I'm like, why are you asking rational questions of this movie? Uh, That's not fair because this movie is clearly not rational. No. Well, it just, there, there are parts about that are mystifying to me. So did you catch, did either of you catch who the special effects supervisor was on this movie? Oh, God, uh, was it? Who was it? John Dykstra. Really? Whoa. The guy who created ILM, who did who yeah. did Star Wars. Yeah. Basically one of the most uh, successful and... and uh, prominent special effects masters in American film history did the special effects for this movie. But it still but, looks like a stage show at Universal Studios. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> well, but, I, I think mean, that's more of the set design than the special effects, though. Like... Yeah, I mean, say what you will about the about the about their idea, their idea to have sort of a weird... Take sort of the weird Tim Burton-esque model work part of doing it, which I think was actually kind of neat now. Yeah. I think now is aged, I think, a little bit. It was kind yeah. of neat in the way they did it. Um, they also tried to merge that with sort of a, and mind you, this is 97, with sort of a like the, oh, movies are going to be in CGI now, and tried to smash those two things together in a way that was particularly weird. Like ha- doing CGI of Robin uh, windsurfing, air surfing down the side of buildings in Goth. It's like, it's really fucking strange. It's yeah. really strange. Um, and... It's, and there's incredible talent. I mean, there, there, there's a reason they spent over $100 million. They had incredible talent on the yeah. movie. And how it could have been wasted so thoroughly, I, I boggles the mind. There's other things that don't seem to make a lot of sense from the perspective of just basic planning. Um, the museum that apparently has a diamond exhibit at the beginning is an art museum rather than like an antiquities museum. And when you look at the exhibit itself, it has a giant dinosaur a Mayan statue. I think there's a Buddha in there. Yes. I mean, what the fuck exhibit is this? <laughs> this movie feels very much like if somebody took the Tim Burton movies and was were like, this would be much better as a Silver Age comic book. And then just kind of smashed the two together. And like, for those of you familiar, the Silver Age, not necessarily your go-to for compelling stories. Like, the Silver Age contains stories like... Batman and Superman are going to have a riddle contest. And if Batman wins, he gets a pair of Superman's boots. But if Superman wins, he gets a copy of Batman's utility belt. It's like, this is seriously a fucking issue of, of World's Finest. Or like, I, I can't remember if it was Batman or World's Finest, but like, this is the kind of shit that's going on in the Silver Age, right? I, like, I think if you were, did, made a conscious choice to do that and embrace it, but add a certain modern sensibility to it. But I don't think that Joel Schumacher's doing that. I think he just yeah. goes, oh, hey, I kind of remember seeing Batman the TV show when I was a little kid. Yeah, that's ex- Wasn't that yeah. dumb? I'm going to make it intentionally dumb. Yes. And if he had instead had the view of, like, say, Batman the Brave and the Bold cartoon... Which is about sort of embracing the ridiculous, so sure. you can have an appearance by the fucking sports master on your comic, in your cartoon. That's the sort of stuff where it's like, I love how absurd this is, and there's whimsical, but it also takes itself seriously enough so that you're allowed to have things like stakes and care about characters. But you can still sort of embrace the silliness and whimsy of it. I think Doctor Who is also really good at getting silly and serious sort of into the same thing and allowing things to be fun. Yeah. But I don't think that – I don't think Joel Schumacher likes the thing he's making a movie about. I don't even – I don't no, even I think mean, it's I, bad. I, I, also, I also think that, the, that this movie from its inception is assuming that the audience is stupid or five years old. It's like So, for example um, – this is the one thing that was totally mystified me. Alfred's uh, Max Headroom Max Headroom program, oh, including God. the weird Max Headroom stutters. Yeah, I, I, don't, I just I don't I the the it, it, that, might, that might just be like the weird thing about eighties and nineties movies projecting what 
technology is and it's just embarrassingly anachronistic like as as it usually is but it was also just like this is stupid this yeah. looks stupid i think the actors probably felt stupid doing yes it. and yes. no one along the way said okay pump the brakes like let's think about let's think about how how ridiculous this actually ends up looking and how we it, what every they're running on mac os i think most yeah this, but still like no one, no one, uh, no one stopped to think about it. And look, is this going to look dumb on camera? There was lo- there was lots of these moments. Is is this going to look dumb on camera um, when when the final piece is there? And I guess somebody they got overwritten. I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, yeah. I, the impression I get with a lot of this is there's scenes where there is dialogue that is bad. There's acting that is bad. There's all this stuff that is just bad ideas altogether. But the the final execution of all those bad ideas together. It's almost like Joel Schumacher, like I know what these actors are capable of, even with this shitty dialogue. And it's almost like the director, Joel Schumacher, is actively telling them after a take of that could have been kind of okay, or at least minimalizing the awfulness, going, no, we need to make that performance worse, too. Because <laughs> I don't, I can't imagine them choosing these line per- deliveries. I just think that he really wanted to, that cartoon line really kind of summed it all up for me. It was like... We're not, this is not real, right? This is supposed to be dumb. It's supposed to be ridiculous. I don't even think there's any real um, uh, animosity about the characters. I think there's just an apathy about it. You know, it's like, well, we got to make this one. And, you know, it it felt like uh, there was a lot of pressure to put a lot more, you know, like I think there's partially a Spider-Man 3 thing going on here where like, mm-hmm. Schumacher was being pressured by the studio to put a lot more in there than he wanted to. And I think that he was, I think he was probably partially in over his head too. Like, but I, I really think that he somehow convinced himself that people were going to enjoy this. Like, that's, what's weird to me. It's, it, it definitely feels like I read all the IMDB trivia because anything to escape this fucking goddamn, (laughs) but it definitely feels like, I mean, he says, listen, like, one of the things he would say, like, afterwards is, I only made this movie to entertain you, and if you are not entertained, I'm really sorry. Like, I did not mean for it to be this awful. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, maybe we should we should uh, course correct here and talk about Arnold, because, of course, this is about the Arnold's performance. And one thing that I'll definitely say, and I think you said it before, Mike, um, is that Arnold, even even though he's working with clearly subpar dialogue, even though the directing, the direction is obviously pushing all these actors to just be stilted and ridiculous. Um, Arnold still seems like he has a better range in this movie than, say, he seemed like he had in Predator or something, mm. um, where uh, where he he's he's trying to he's going to go for some emotions. I don't think Arnold can actually cry on camera, so that was probably just an eye dropper. <laughs> it was a CGI but, tear. Yes, <laughs> CGI tear. Still, Arnold has to at least be. Uh, you know, aggrieved here yeah. and and indignant and uh, v- wrathful. He has he has like some an- amount of emotions other than just uh, full of rage and wanting to kill for fun. Which he has is... more emotional range than Batman does in this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah you get to see him joyful. You get to see him angry. You get to see him sad. You get you see him kind of you. He gets an arc. Um, it's yeah. not. I mean, he's not great in this movie, but I think that Arnold also maintains the integrity of what his movie persona is better than a lot of people that are also in this movie were. Like, there's a there's a thing about you as an actor that people want to see when they put you in a movie. Yes. And how well do you hold on to that within the context of the material that's written? Arnold always knows how to he has to get his one-liners in. He's got his physicality. He's got a certain, you know, craziness in facial expression and his voice. I, I'd argue that his physicality is severely restrained, though, in this movie, because they put him in a suit that he clearly can't move in yes you, um so even in, in that sense you like you get him he gets to, like backhand some cops or something um but for the most part he just has to do it mostly through his voice and not his not his body why do you get a guy that that is as big and physically imposing as arnold just to cover him up with armor because he's an yeah because he's a name <laughs> it's you're trying to cater to that that specific kind of fan i think that that wants to come and see him but i i agree like he's totally wasted in this he gets top billing on both the poster and in the opening credits oh, yeah. yeah well i, I mean yeah. he's the biggest star at that point yeah. it's, i look at it and it's i think he comes out better than most of the people because i think arnold had already had a couple of stinkers before this movie came out. Yeah. Where definitely. a lot of these people were up and coming at the time. I mean, Chris O'Donnell, what had he done? Like school ties and a couple other things. 
He done a couple other like serious I think dramas. He's scent of a woman at this point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so he was already in an Oscar-winning movie, and you're like, oh, this guy's great. But it just hit a brick wall. Celestia so Silverstone had been in a couple big movies. This is like the Pat, year after Clueless. Pat Hingle, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, God, toward <laughs> toward divorce, Pat Hingle. Uh, I, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, it just a lot of people just. They, their career, like you said, were murdered by oh, this God, fucking movie. Yeah, no, this... And I think Arnold came out better for it. I mean, because he could still go back immediately to his bread and butter, which were action films. Yes. I think this came out either right after Eraser or right before Eraser. It was yeah, in that same right time period. Time. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think anyone also expected Arnold to be this great. He, he's always been the guy who succeeds glowingly through low expectations. Yes. No, no. End of days was after this one. Oh, so this was this is actually the beginning of the downward spiral uh, yes, for Arnold. Yeah, yes. the nineties was a rough time. It's end of days, it's, and it's, then... it's, it's, it's uh, Eraser, Jingle All the Way, Batman and Robin, and then End of Days. End of days, and then he started yep. doing like the Sixth Day and yep, yep. A Collateral Damage, yep, and there's yep. a few wow, others. Wow, you know, you know it. Back this and is forth. A, I'm yeah. telling you, man, I am a fucking <laughs> Arnold fan. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, this was the beginning of the dark times for for Arnold because, I, yeah. I mean, the 80s, he was clearly a creature of the 80s, this, this mega blockbuster person. And he still had the clout to get first in the credits, but I think that had this movie been made a couple of years later, he probably would have been after Clooney. Well, yeah, because Clooney was on the upra, I was on the climb yeah. in this movie. This is very much the last time that Arnold will ever have top billing over George, George Clooney. George Clooney, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think... Yeah. What's interesting there is that <clears throat> I think that one of the reasons you're not kind of disappointed with Arnold in this movie is because you don't expect much from it. Like, he's slumming it, you know? Yeah, he's, like, yeah. he's, he's very much slumming it. But I do agree that it's it's very weird to have an actor that is renowned for his, like, punch, punch, you know, shoot, shoot persona to, to be in this. And I think... I think Partially for him, it was that he got a pretty fat paycheck from this. Oh, I'm sure. I'm I sure. think he got. I mean, he got like a big, a big part of the budget was his was his paycheck. But also, um, I think it was just the novelty of doing it. You know, it's kind of like oh, I've, I was in a Batman movie, right? And so I wonder how much that kind of factored into it. Which, which at that point in time, I think if you think about the idea of Batman movies as a thing, starting in the early '90s. The Batman was fucking huge. Yeah. It was huge oh God, yeah. as a thing. I mean, I and and it, it it's funny that it, it it we didn't we all didn't get the message with Forever with Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it obviously it was like as com- comic book movies were totally unheard of before Batman. So. Yeah, well, and Forever still made money. Yeah, I yep. mean this fucking tanked, man, and it, it barely made more than its budget. Because I was I was thinking about this at the time because we we've actually neglected to mention one thing that this movie has. Which is this is the first movie appearance of Bane. <laughs> and you mean you mean one word man? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this is your fucking super soldier. This is the guy who is as monosyllabic, crazy, like my pet monster motherfucker <laughs> who's breaking his chains and just going, Ah oh, um, here's, here's a thought. Just, if we're gonna cast Arnold in this Batman movie and you wanna give him Bane. an opportunity, yes, if you wanna give him an opportunity to have that physicality, make a fucking Bane movie with Arnold. Yeah. Oh my god. I just so the the actor that plays Bane, his name is Jeep Swenson. And yes. he fucking died right after this movie wrapped. Oh, oh like, god, this, this movie is, is killing people. Yeah, like seriously. <laughs> but it's it's like it's weird to me that even though Bane is fucking awful in this movie, they don't whitewash him. His name is like Antonio Diego or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's something, of course, Nolan did, which is totally strip that whole that whole ethnicity away from from Bane and and Rise and Dark Knight Rises, which kind of upset me. And I say this: this was a little. I appreciate what he's trying to do, but you know, it was really hard to understand what he was saying. <laughs> oh, I just like it. I like the version of Bane better, where he's wearing a chauffeur costume and driving a Rolls Royce. Yeah, <laughs> you mean like the Raphael Ninja Turtle uh, disguise? Uh, uh, I, okay, when he's like, when they're in the observatory and he's putting down the little bombs, and he's like, bombs, bomb. I'm like, really? Really? 
It's 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 like it's like you've never made a movie before, Charles Schumacher, and you made Falling Down at this point. Like <laughs> that's what I don't get. How did the same fucking person that made Falling Down make this movie? You think you were bored in shitty movies. I was not in a good movie until I was a man. Until I was a man. (laughs) Only once you've bombed a $125 million movie, then you have my permission to die. (laughs) Can we spend the rest of the episode talking like this? I would be okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, The funny thing I kind of get with this movie is that there was one positive feeling I had rewatching it. And it was one I didn't expect, hmm. which is that there's a scene at the very beginning. Um, Arnold, you know, as Mr. Freeze and his goons have taken over the museum. It's covered in ice. Batman and Robin burst through and the villain goes, get them, kill them. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm in a scene where Batman and Robin are fighting a room full of goons. Right. And it's a realization that I've never gotten that before in a movie, you know. Yeah. That, it, that I've never had that because... For some reason, the people that make movies seem to hate Robin for some reason. But the idea mm. of these two dudes in capes fighting a room full of costumed henchmen while their boss cheers them on is such an old school thing. Oh, God, yes. And after Logan, there is no reason why we cannot have a child Robin. Like, that definitely <laughs> yeah, convinced sure. me of that. I think that you sure. could make a dark and gritty Batman movie with oh, a badass kid Robin. By the way, chosen uh, casting for a Batman movie, by the way, that is Idris Elba and Maisie Williams as Batman and Robin. I'm just oh, going to say. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nice. But uh, oh my god, I can hear the howling of fucking gamer gators and oh, fucking, fuck them. That movie would be great. Uh, no, it would tell be me, fucking great. Tell Let's me you can't it. say Idris Elba wearing that black turtleneck that that Bruce Wayne always wears, looking at a computer, looking pensive. Wait, wait, why is it? Uh, no, and that's different in this movie. For some reason, uh, Bruce Wayne, who's a billionaire by the way, is wearing like the dumpiest like Banana oh, Republic hoodie. It's he is I, not. He, what's what's the, the deal? Fashion in this movie, I think it really it's um it's just bad. Because of the time it came uh, out, just, just a, casual, was bad. a casualty of 1997. Yeah, I really, uh, there's I really a lot think. of things that are just kind of jarring, but I don't think they're jarring on purpose. Like every time that Barbara comes back from riding her motorcycle, she has soot on her face, but it's soot on her face that's placed in such a way to make it look like she has cartoon five o'clock shadow. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and I was yes. like, is that supposed to? It's like, are you going to go out as a hobo clown now? I just, it's 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 weird to me because I understand this is where we're here to talk about Arnold. But he is easily like the least interest. I don't want to say least interesting, hmm. but like the least egregious part of this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really hard because he's given. I really think he's given so little to work with. Because I I really think it would have been interesting to see him evoke a more like contemplative Mister Freeze. Or, like I think he and I think he probably yeah. could well, have pulled they give, it off. They give him some moments, right? They give him some brief, a uh, little flashes of some some attempts at heart in this yeah. movie. Yeah, um, like at the end where they catch him, there's this moment where it looks like legitimate emotion coming from Arnold, where he realizes that <clears throat> his wife is not dead. Batman has saved his wife and is is going to give him the opportunity to have, continue his research yeah, to save her. Yes, and Arnold looks. It's like a wonderful, like actually a good moment acting yeah. wise from Arnold. Yeah. And then they is. spoil it with a fucking doctor joke one-liner about take two of these and call <laughs> me in, in the, the morning. morning. Oh god! And I, the weird thing to me is that I think I think Arnold would have killed it as like a total fucking like stone-faced like no one-liners, Mister Freeze. That was just like, yeah, I'm here to do this one thing. And I, I, I think the problem is that he. I think the really the problem is that Arnold could couldn't not be the lead baddie no, at this was, point. Yeah. So he couldn't be he couldn't be just Bane unless. Well, I mean, I guess he could have, but he, he still couldn't have been. He could, he had to be the lead baddie, right? Mm. So in that sense, Bane would have been too, a demotion for that, and it would, would have made yeah, sense at the time. I mean, you, there's ways of saving that, but I don't I don't know. It would have been interesting. I I just. There are very few things that I cannot watch Arnold Schwarzenegger in. I've seen fucking Raw Deal. I've seen uh, Red Heat. Yeah. Like, I, I've seen, man, I, I have fucking seen, it's like I said, probably 90% of his movies. Um, I haven't seen Hercules in New York. No. That's pro- one of the only ones I've, I haven't seen. But, like, I can watch him do most anything because I find him to be incredibly entertaining. But... He, this movie is just so bad that even his like charisma 
And just Arnoldness cannot save it. Um, yeah, imagine how bad it would be without him. Yeah, oh, no, yeah we, so, wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about it. Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Mercifully, we yes. wouldn't be talking about it. Uh, so I think it's probably a good time for us to ask you the two questions that always end out these episodes. First one is, and I know this is the stupidest, most obvious question that we don't even... Don't even I'm not even put a question mark at the end of this sentence. But... Is Batman and Robin, Arnold aside, is Batman and Robin a good movie? No. No. God, no. I think I think it does. I, there, there are some things that it does right, strangely enough. But no, in no way, shape, or form is it a good movie. It's not a good anything. I, I, don't, I don't ever want to see it again. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I might watch The Rift. So we watched this on my friend's Plex server. And mm-hmm. the one he, well, we didn't. We were going to, but it was the Riff Tracks version. And I cannot fucking tell you how tempted I was to just watch that. I could, yeah. I could be tempted by that. I, think. I, yeah. I was so yeah. tempted to just yeah. watch that. But because I respect you guys, <laughs> I fucking sat down and beat myself in the brain. And watch this movie. No, it is not a good movie. You know, this, oh. that, that's dis- that's disappointing because normally when we're asking our guests to watch an Arnold movie, it's usually they're having a fun time doing it. Yeah. And unfortunately, with this one, we're asking people to ha- endure some pain. It's kind of like we just asked Joe, "Could you please get a root canal for us?" <laughs> so, and, and you know what? I really. <laughs> I mean, I've watched Suicide Squad. I've watched Batman versus Superman twice, and this, as bad as it is, is not as bad as those. I really, I really oh. think so. Oh, uh, I would. I'm going to say this movie is not good, even a little bit. Not even as a hate watch or a so bad it's good. No. This isn't no. one you can enjoy laughing with with friends. I mean, as much as I do, kind of like some of the set design stuff with those those elevated freeways in Gotham City, and you know, you know. You could have fun with, you know, crazy over-the-top Adam West type stuff if you really wanted to commit to Ace the Bat Hound and the Rainbow Bat costume, but it's not. But my God, this movie is so poorly put together on every level. And the worst part about it is it's not even like, you know, Birdemic, where it's just ineptitude, where you're like not knowing how to mix sound so that the vacuum cleaner is popping in and out depending on what shot you use. <laughs> this is These are people who know how to make movies and have made good movies in the past. Everyone involved has done something good, but it feels like there's everyone is making conscious choices that are all dragging this movie down. Yes. And no part of it makes it fun. I, I actually paused so I could look at how far I was into the movie, like six times. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, 40 minutes left. Oh, Jesus, 20 uh, minutes we, left. I had a very similar mo- – so we were watch- We watched uh, View from the Gutters is getting ready to – I'm doing a new series. It's called uh, Legends of the Drunk Night, where I watch oh. movies with friends of mine and we get drunk because that's the only way we can watch them. We did Suicide Squad that way. Oh, and nice. at one point – Kirby, my wife, and my friend Mariah needed to pee, and Patrick, who is Mariah's partner, got up to pause the movie, and I was like doing something else, and I just hear him go, are you fucking kidding me? There's an hour left? And I was like, there can, like we've been watching this movie since the dawn of time. How can there still be an hour left? I think that is the mark of a truly awful movie where you're like... Nope. Wait, no, there can't be that much left. There yeah. can't be that it's, much left. It's, it's true. No good movie is ever too too short. Too short. No bad movie is ever too long. Wait, did no, I get that backwards? Uh, yes. Yeah. The other way around. No bad. No good movie is ever too long. No bad movie is ever too short. Obviously. Yes. Obviously. You feel every painful minute yes. of this thing. Yes. Yes. So let's ask the 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 follow up question. Is this Batman and Robin, is Batman and Robin a good Arnold movie? No. No. As much as it pains me to admit it, no, it's absolutely not. It's uh, it's really a waste of him. He's he's wasted throughout this whole thing. I think he's got. I think they maybe tried a little harder. You know, you'd think it would be a good fit, and I think there are any one of a number maybe of uh, of characters, Batman characters that probably are lesser known. But uh, I I think that he's just wasted in this. It's it's, it's not even satisfying on that level. The- yeah, it's not not in the canon, not at all. I we we. He doesn't. He doesn't. Like I said before, he doesn't get to have the physicality that you love in an Arnold movie of a guy who clearly can kick ass and is and is, is given set pieces so he can kick ass. Um, and even when he does have one liners, um, they're they're not the satisfying Arnold one liners. So yeah, yeah, they're really not out of canon. Oh God! Yeah, this is awful. This is this. The only thing I liked about this movie, as far as Arnold is, is a spectacular bathrobe he was wearing. <laughs> oh God! I want that bathrobe. <laughs> that 
that is the only thing I really, really liked. Oh my God. Also, can we talk about the fact that he fucking can't, he's got to keep himself at zero degrees and he's smoking a fucking cigar? <laughs> like, what the fuck? You just told us one thing. How are you going to have it both ways? Smoke produces fucking heat. That, he has a was... thing on fire next to his yeah, face. Like, oh my God, what the fuck is that? Yeah, it's this this movie doesn't even let the bad stuff be fun because again, what is the marriage? We call it absurd macho bullshit. There's a lot of bullshit in this movie. Yes. There's a lot of absurdity in this movie. It's not very macho, and I think that maybe that missing piece is that we need to see him freeze a guy and then punch him and he shatters. Yeah, yes. You know he doesn't have to you know be bloody. We're not playing like Mortal Kombat here, <laughs> but just something where the guy just shatters and it's bloodless, or punch a guy and you see him go through a wall. Yeah. Um, he needs to be visibly killing people, not in like a Logan sort of way, but just in a way that adds an element of danger to him, because that's the thing I think that makes Arnold catchphrases work. Yeah. It actually took me a second when, when you asked me to watch this. I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird choice, because it took me a second to even realize that we were doing this for podcasts, <laughs> because I was like, that's not an Arnold movie. It's, not, it's, mm. it's, it's a fucking, it's a shitty Batman movie, but it's it's not an Arnold movie. Yeah, his, you know? his presence is incidental. Yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Not enough to save it and not enough to be memorable. Yeah, yeah. no, not at all. Fuck you, Joel uh, Schumacher. Fuck, what did you do? Fuck not, you. Uh, I, you know, he's properly apologetic about it, and I, I've, I've moved past that. I, I forgive him. There's there's probably lots of other better movies that he's directed. Oh, we God, yes. never talk about it again. No, I, Gentlemen, yes. let's never mention this again. Oh, my we God, we're free. This. We're finally free. <laughs> oh, my. We're finally fucking free. Oh, fucking God. And we you know did what the it. best part is? We did it. We did it. Yes. And I just looked at the thing. It is recording data. Yes. We are never going to have to watch Batman and Robin again. So this is this is really weird to me, though, because we're in, we did the Don Bluth episode of Radio vs. the Martians, and wasn't that problem. also somewhat of a... Yeah, so... I am your fucking lucky charm. You're the closer, man. Yes, the You're the closer. closer. Yes, brass balls, gentlemen. <laughs> brass balls. Oh, so lucky charm, Mr. Joe Preddy. Thank you for joining us. Yes, My pleasure. So much, Thank you guys. And, I love being here. And if, if folks want to find out what you're doing online and projects you're working on, where can they find you? So uh, go to viewfromthegutter.com. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook. We're on, we've been on hiatus for a while, kind of figuring out some, some of the more um, uh, front-to-office type stuff. Uh, but we are going to be releasing a short series on Iron Fist, and then, oh. I'm, like like I said before, I'm I'm gonna I'm uh, Legends of the Drunk Knight are in <laughs> in the works. Uh, Suicide Squad will be up shortly. I can't um, wait. I can't wait. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think it was a fun episode, and we get fucking wasted by the end of that episode. <laughs> I am fucking just six sheets to the wind. Uh, but yeah, viewfromthegutters.com. And uh, we we should be releasing, we should beg to be uh, a regular releasing schedule pretty soon. Sweet. Absolutely. So thank you again for joining us, Joe. My pleasure. We'll catch you folks in two months. Podcast of La Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in Tacoma, Washington and edited by Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. this universe, there's only one absolute. Everything freezes. <laughs> <laughs>